0: good morning you know if you think about it over time there's not many meals that we eat that really sticks out to us as being like really awesome you know what i mean we we eat meals every day and we eat a lot of good stuff but not all of them do we like oh yeah i remember that meal but then there are those that do I remember the first time I had key lime pie at Blue Heaven in Key West. Anybody ever been there before? The meringue on this thing is just amazing. I'm not even gonna describe how they make it. It's just, it's my favorite. I remember the first time that I went to an Alabama game with my dad and we went to Dreamland Barbecue. And not, not one of the newer, fancier ones that they have out there, the Dream Lamp. I'm talking about the original. And I just remember, wow, this is amazing. But if you ask me what I had to eat last Tuesday, I'm probably not going to remember. Or I'm going to have to think about it. Doesn't mean it wasn't good. It just there's just some things that really stick out. And it's the same way with sermons. You know, we preachers, we get frustrated sometimes because like we work all week long, sometimes even longer than that, in preparation for a certain lesson, and, and we do research and we write and we prepare and we try to, to do it in such a way that, that you'll remember it. And and yet we know that people don't always remember. Sometimes they don't even remember from one week to the next. But if we preachers were honest with you, we don't always remember either. <laughs> and we're the ones who do it. You know, if you ask me something about Romans that we studied that last month, you know, a specific thing, I may have to go back and get my notes and refresh myself a little bit because that's just the way it is. And, but there's some sermons that you, you never forget. You know, I remember when I was a child, I'm 52, I remember when I was a child, and there was a sermon preached by W.T. Allison, and it was called Water the Flowers and Not the Weeds. You remember that, Mom? And, and we had these little roses we got to put on our shirts, and it was a series. I can't tell you a whole lot about it, but I, I got the gist of it, you know, like what it's about. There is a a sermon that was put into a book that I read about 20 years ago, and it's called The Three Chairs. And it's one of those lessons that I've never forgotten, and it's one of those that I think for a lot of people that have read it and heard lessons like it, that it really makes some kind of impact on their lives. And that's exactly what I'm going to be preaching here this morning. The three chairs, they represent three generations, okay? So, think about a generation. A generation is somewhere between 20 to 30 years. So let's just say 25 years. In three generations, that represents 75 years. Last week, we just celebrated our 75th anniversary as a church. And we're not just celebrating the past. We're also like, where are we going to be in the next 75 years? The three chairs kind of work like this. The first generation is those who are devoted to God. The second generation begins to introduce compromise and hypocrisy. The third generation, we find that they're often in conflict with the lord turn over in your bibles to the book of joshua chapter 24 joshua 24 finally israel is getting to go into the land of israel after wandering around in the wilderness after the lord delivered them from slavery and everything else and here we come to the end of the book after it talks about the conquest of the land and joshua is getting ready to die and so he is calling the people together, and he's going to give this charge to them. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. And when we say fear the Lord, we're talking about reverence. Have awe for the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is what we would call a first chair believer. He is sold out for the Lord. God, whatever you want us to do, that's what we're going to do. But we notice that Joshua, he, he not only gives this, this, um, this petition here for the people, but he repeats it in verses 23 and 24. It's like, why is he repeating it? Because there were pe- there was many of the people who were still holding on to these gods of Egypt. The very gods that Yahweh had destroyed had, had, in order to free them from Egyptian slavery, and yet they still would cling to them a little bit. Turn over one page, and we come to the book of Judges, at least one page in my book. But here in the book of Judges, it's, it's really interesting because we come to this first chapter, Joshua has died, And we see that one tribe after the other, they continue to just disobey the Lord. Now, they obeyed in going in and conquering the land. They had a great amount of faith in doing that. But they didn't have complete obedience because they didn't drive out the idol-worshiping nations of the land. And so when we come to Judges chapter 2, this is what we read. He says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and said I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers I said I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not not make and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land and you shall break down their altars but you have not obeyed my voice what is this that you have done so now I say I will not drive them out before you But they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and they wept. And they called the name of the place Bokum, which means weepers. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people that's your first generation... The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders. Here comes your second generation. Who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So what we see, first generation, we have Joshua, they served the Lord Wholeheartedly through the time he was gone, but then a new generation arises, and it is the elders, and they do not require complete obedience. They give a nod to the Lord, but they don't drive out the inhabitants, the idol worshiping that is so prevalent. And so, when we come to the the very uh, down to verse ten now, watch this. When you come to verse 10, he says, And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose, what? Another generation. What do we learn about them? He says, And, and says after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. When you get to this third generation, they do not know the Lord. Let's reflect on what we're talking about so far. Chair number one is is focused on God, everything he has to say. Chair number two is focused on God. But also focused on self. And they'll say yes Lord to what he says. But we're probably going to do what we really actually want to do. What makes us happy. Chair number three. Is not devoted to the Lord at all. They don't even know the Lord. It's all about them. Look over a couple of books to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to do some little bit of reading here, then we'll quit reading so much. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see that the first king of Israel, he is a complete failure. He does not do what God wants him to do. And so what, God is ready to replace him, or he's going to replace him. And so when you come down to verse 14, this is what we read. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now we know, most of us, if you grew up going to Bible class as a child, you know who he's talking about. He's going to find that man after God's own heart. It's David. One thing we know about David, though, he wasn't perfect. He had some real moral failures at times. But one thing we know about David is David, when he was confronted with sin, he repented. He turned away from it. He didn't want anything to do with it anymore. He was a first chair believer. Now, he had a son. His name was Solomon. In fact, go over to 1 Kings. So we're 1 Samuel. you got to get through 2 Samuel before you get to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 11. And one thing we know about... His son Solomon is, man, in the beginning, he was like gangbusters, wasn't he? Uh, he, he goes to God, and, and when God says, I'll give you whatever wish you want, he says, I need wisdom. I need your wisdom, Lord. And God provided him that wisdom. And it seemed so good. Everything seemed to be going so well until he started intermarrying with these other nations for political purposes. And after time, what we find with Solomon is he begins to compromise. So when we go over here to 1 Kings chapter 11, I want us to read verses 4 through 8. This is what he says. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father. In other words, not like the first chair. He's now in the second chair. It's not holy, totally. For Solomon went after Ashterah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not Holy follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives. Okay, here's why he does it. He does it for his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. He compromised in the second chair. Now, he had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was not a wise man, and he did not want the wisdom of God. He didn't go asking for it. In fact, he did not even listen to the wisdom of the older advisors of the land. He listened to these peers that he grew up with. And he became a tyrant, y'all. Look over at chapter 12 now, verses 13 and 14. It says, And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. The kingdom divided there was civil war. And even worse, Rehoboam leads them and the people of Israel into idolatry once again. Now once again, we see this first chair conviction, right? Today we would say these are people who are spiritually minded who sit in this first chair. These are people who have trust, trusted Christ To save them. These are people who are sold out for God. They serve with joy. When they read something in Scripture, they just want to do it. They just want to follow and live the way God wants them to live, even if it's a little bit painful. Even if it's something that kind of goes against what they believe is their own happiness. Because they're just just sold out. They see God at work in the first chair. But they're not perfect. You see, when we talk about first chair living, we're not talking about living perfectly. But a first chair individual, when they see their wrong and their sinfulness, they repent. They want to turn away from it. They don't want it anymore. They go to God in repentance and in and humility, and, and they, they go to him for restoration. Now, second chair believers, these are going to be folks who, they look a lot like those in the first chair. They have confessed the name of Jesus at some point, more than likely. They've been baptized. They're doing a lot of the things that the first chair is doing, but they're just going through the motions. They take the Lord's Supper. They attend church, but they compromise. Because the only spirituality those in the second chair are getting is what they're getting when they come in here once a week. After that, they're not going to read their Bibles. After that, they're not going to pray to the Father. Unless, of course, they've got some issues. And, and when they've got a big decision to make, they will, they'll go to people that they believe are, are, you know, maybe their peers, maybe people they work with, and they ask them for advice. And there's nothing wrong with, with talking with other people, and especially not other believers, and trying to figure out some of these big things in life. But if that is your basis and not upon God and His Word, then you need to understand there's something wrong. There's compromise that's happening, there's hypocrisy that's going on. They get they get comfortable in a world that glorifies evil in fact they they really don't want to push any buttons you know i mean hey the world is what it is i just want to just live the life that i want to live and and you know i just don't want to speak up when i need to speak up or say things i need to say but at times they look more like the world than they do a committed believer And what eventually will happen, if they're not careful, is they end up in this third chair. But God tells us what he thinks about those who want to live in the second chair. People who are, sorry, lukewarm. They're neither cold nor hot. They give a nod to the Lord. They show up. But that's it. That's where their faith ends. And Jesus says, I don't want that. And I'll tell you, I don't want that for this church. And I also don't want it for me either. Because if this church is filled with a bunch of second chair individuals, I'm here to tell you, we're not going to be here in 75 years. In fact, we're just one generation away from closing our doors. Second chair believers produce third chair people. You know, a lot of times a person ends up in the third chair because they've been sitting beside a person in the second chair. Maybe they was raised in the home of a second chair believer. But they're, they're not going to do it. They don't see the power of God in, in that second chair's life because that's not what you're going to find when you're not really committed to God. And so they're going to come to a point and say, listen, if you want to be fake, you can. But I'm not going to live that way. I don't, I don't, if you're going to act like a Christian, but you're not really being devoted to him, then why are you pretending? And so they say, I just don't believe in the Lord at all. But Here's the thing, they need the good news of Jesus Christ as much as all of us. They need to know about Jesus who came down to this earth and he, he died and he suffered for us to save us from our sins. They, they need to know that unless they repent, they're going to be eternally apart from the presence of God. They need to know that second chair living is not what God wants. That the real blessings are found in the first chair. The question that I think all of us have to ask ourselves this morning is simply this. Where are you sitting? Where are you sitting? And you have to answer that question To yourself, okay? It's between you and God. But I'm here to tell you, you better look at it very honestly because you're not going to fool God. You're just not. In fact, you fool less people than you think that you fool. (laughs) But here's what I want you to know. You can move chairs. You may be sitting here this morning and you're like, Yeah, I've been living in this second chair for a long time. You don't have to stay there. You're like, what do I do? Fear God. That's number one, fear God. Trust or take your faith in Christ seriously. Think about your baptism and what it represents. Baptism, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Baptism is us saying, I no longer want to live in the world. I died to that life. Remember your baptism. Remember, if you just went through the motions this morning, then, then contemplate, get it back up of the Lord's Supper that we just took and what the bread and the cup really represent to you. What had to happen for that to happen? And go to God in prayer, in penance and humility. Pick up your Bible and start reading it today. And I'm not talking about checking off a Bible reading plan here. I'm talking about you're going into it and you're just like, Lord, what is it that you want me to know? How, what do I need to change? How can I be transformed? Pray that God's Spirit will, will help you to see and, and, and listen. Be ready to listen to God's leading and His Spirit. Stop compromising with the world. There's enough of that out there right now. You wonder, why are we in here each week? Because we need a break from that out there. Stop compromising with it. Stop worrying about what people of the world think about you. If you're in the first chair... Stop, don't worry about what people are doing in the third chair as far as what they think of you. If you're in the second chair, it's the same thing. Stop making life about you. Love other people, serve them. make a real impact on the world that we live on for and live in for good that's what first chair people do folks you know we have a, a church covenant here it's not something that like you know some bunch of it's just things out of scripture and we want people to really focus on this. It's not everything that the Bible has to say, but it's like, look, this is a good start. This is where we as a a family of God, this, this helps us because we need to be focused on what first chair living is all about. I'm not up here pretending that I've got it all figured out myself either. There are some things definitely that I know and I've been working on and things that I know I need to work on in order to reflect more of that first chair. I don't want my children and I do not want my grandchildren to grow up watching me in the second chair. because I don't want them to be a third chair individual. I want them to live as first chair believers. And I want you to know that all of us, our ministers, our elders, we're here to help you. We, we say this a lot, we care for you. And, and this is one of the aspects. If you're ready to move chairs and you need help and you need prayers and whatever it may be, come to us. But it doesn't even have to be us, I'll be honest. Look around this room. Who in here that, that you look at and say, that's what a first chair Christian looks like. I want to go talk to them. I need them to mentor me. I need them to pray for me. I need them to tell me what is it things that you do in your life that I need to change in my own life. It's all about getting into the chair that God wants to bless us in. And so we hope in some way, if we can help you, we want to do that. But let's pray at this time. Father, we come to you this day. We thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Father, forgive us for those moments where we were not living for you as we should. Father, we fail we, just like David, we have, we have all had those failures in our lives that just is an embarrassment to you and to your name. But Father, may we always have a penitent heart. May your Spirit always prick our hearts. And Father, may we receive that and respond to it in a way that you would have us to respond. Father, we pray for your power we pray for your blessings that people may see it in our own lives that they may know you. And Father, I pray for the people in this church that they know they're not in that first chair. And maybe some of them, they're just barely hanging on to the second chair right now. And maybe they look and they, they, they see their, their people in their own lives that they've already moved to that third chair and maybe, maybe, They even feel some guilt about that. But you are a God of forgiveness. You are a God of grace. You are a God that does not want to leave us where we are. And so, Father, we just pray for your power and your strength at this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.